McGraw-Hill Audio presents Positioning, the Battle for Your Mind, written by Al Reese and Jack Trout, read by Grover Gardner. Introduction. What we have here is a failure to communicate. How often have you heard that bromide? Failure to communicate is the single, most common, most universal reason people give for their problems. Business problems, government problems, labor problems, marriage problems. If only people took the time to communicate their feelings, to explain their reasons, the assumption is that many of the problems of the world would somehow disappear. People seem to believe any problem can be solved if only the parties sit down and talk. Unlikely. Today, communication itself is the problem. We have become the world's first over-communicated society. Each year, we send more and receive less. This book has been written about a new approach to communication called positioning, and most of the examples are from the most difficult of all forms of communication, advertising, a form of communication that, from the point of view of the recipient, is held in low esteem. Advertising is, for the most part, unwanted and unliked. In some cases, advertising is thoroughly detested. To many intellectuals, advertising is selling your soul to corporate America, a subject not worthy of serious study. In spite of its reputation, or perhaps because of it, the field of advertising is a superb testing ground for theories of communication. If it works in advertising, most likely it will work in politics, religion, or any other activity that requires mass communication. So the examples in this book could just as well have been taken from the field of politics, war, business, or even the science of chasing the opposite sex, or any form of human activity which involves influencing the minds of other people, whether you want to promote a car, a cola, a computer, a candidate, or your own career. Positioning is a concept that has changed the nature of advertising, a concept so simple people have difficulty understanding how powerful it is. Every successful politician practices positioning. So do Procter & Gamble and Johnson & Johnson. Positioning starts with a product, a piece of merchandise, a service, a company, an institution, or even a person, perhaps yourself. But positioning is not what you do to a product. Positioning is what you do to the mind of the prospect. That is, you position the product in the mind of the prospect. So it's incorrect to call the concept product positioning. You're not really doing something to the product itself. Not that positioning doesn't involve change. It often does. But changes made in the name, the price, and the package are not really changes in the product at all. They're basically cosmetic changes done for the purpose of securing a worthwhile position in the prospect's mind. Positioning is the first body of thought that comes to grips with the difficult problem of getting heard in our over-communicated society. If one word can be said to have marked the course of advertising in the past decade, the word is positioning. Positioning has become a buzzword among advertising sales and marketing people, not only in America, but around the world. Teachers, politicians, and editorial writers are using the word. Most people think positioning got started in 1972 when we wrote a series of articles entitled The Positioning Era for the trade paper Advertising Age. Since then, we have given more than a thousand speeches on positioning to advertising groups in 21 different countries around the world, and we have given away more than 150,000 copies of our Little Orange Booklet, which reprints the Advertising Age articles. Positioning has changed the way the advertising game is being played today. 
We're the third largest selling coffee in America, says the Sanka Radio commercials. The third largest? Whatever happened to those good old advertising words like first and best and finest? Well, the good old advertising days are gone forever, and so are the words. Today you find comparatives, not superlatives. Avis is only number two in rent-a-cars, so why go with us? We try harder. Seven Up, the Uncola. Along Madison Avenue, these are called positioning slogans, and the advertising people who write them spend their time and research money looking for positions or holes in the marketplace. But positioning has stirred up interest well beyond Madison Avenue, with good reason. Anyone can use positioning strategy to get ahead in the game of life. And look at it this way. If you don't understand and use the principles, your competitors undoubtedly will. Chapter 1 What Positioning is All About How did a hard-sell concept like positioning become so popular in a business noted for its creativity? In truth, the past decade might well be characterized as a return to reality— White knights and black eye patches gave way to such positioning concepts as light beer from Miller, everything you always wanted in a beer, and less. Poetic? Yes. Artful? Yes. But also a straightforward, clearly defined explanation of the basic positioning premise. To be successful today, you must touch base with reality, and the only reality that counts is what's already in the prospect's mind. To be creative, to create something that doesn't already exist in the mind, is becoming more and more difficult, if not impossible. The basic approach of positioning is not to create something new and different, but to manipulate what's already up there in the mind, to retie the connections that already exist. Today's marketplace is no longer responsive to the strategies that worked in the past. There are just too many products, too many companies, and too much marketing noise. The question most frequently asked by positioning skeptics is, why? Why do we need a new approach to advertising and marketing? The answer is that we have become an over-communicated society. The per capita consumption of advertising in America today is $376.62 a year. That compares with $16.87 in the rest of the world. If you spend a million dollars a year on advertising, you are bombarding the average consumer with less than a half cent of advertising, spread out over 365 days. A consumer already exposed to $376.61 and a half cents worth of other advertising. In our over-communicated society, to talk about the impact of your advertising is to seriously overstate the potential effectiveness of your message. Advertising is not a sledgehammer. It's more like a light fog, a very light fog that envelops your prospects. In the communication jungle out there, the only hope to score big is to be selective, to concentrate on narrow targets, to practice segmentation. In a word, positioning. The mind, as a defense against the volume of today's communications, screens and rejects much of the information offered it. In general, the mind accepts only that which matches prior knowledge or experience. Millions of dollars have been wasted trying to change minds with advertising. Once a mind is made up, it's almost impossible to change it. Certainly not with a weak force like advertising. Don't confuse me with the facts. My mind's made up. That's a way of life for most people. The average person will sit still when being told something which he or she knows nothing about. Which is why news is an effective advertising approach. But the average person cannot tolerate being told he or she is wrong. 
mind-changing is the road to advertising disaster. The only defense a person has in our overcommunicated society is an oversimplified mind. Not unless they repeal the law of nature that gives us only twenty-four hours in a day will they find a way to stuff more into the mind. The average mind is already a dripping sponge that can only soak up more information at the expense of what's already there. Yet we continue to pour more information into that supersaturated sponge and are disappointed when our messages fail to get through. Advertising, of course, is only the tip of the communication iceberg. We communicate with each other in a wide variety of bewildering ways and in a geometrically increasing volume. The medium may not be the message, but it does seriously affect the message. Instead of a transmission system, the medium acts like a filter. Only a tiny fraction of the original material ends up in the mind of the receiver. Furthermore, what we receive is influenced by the nature of our overcommunicated society. Glittering generalities have become a way of life in our overcommunicated society. We oversimplify because that's the only way to cope. Technically, we are capable of increasing the volume of communication at least tenfold. We're experimenting with direct television broadcasting from satellites. Every home would have a hundred channels or so to choose from. North American Philips has just introduced a three-and-a-half-inch compact disc that holds 600 megabytes of data, more than enough to store the entire Encyclopedia Britannica. Terrific. But who is working on a compact disc for the mind? Who is trying to help the prospect cope with complexity that so overwhelms the mind that the average reaction to the wealth of information today is to tighten the intake valve, to accept less and less of what is so freely available? Communication itself is the communication problem. The best approach to take in our over-communicated society is the oversimplified message. In communication...